TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Explaining what's going on with Tom Brady. Classic midlife crisis. Step one, a divorce from the Patriots. Step two, a short-term relationship with a trophy girl. Step three, a late-night text to the high school sweetheart, a.k.a. the 49ers. I'm telling you. It's unavoidable. He's not gonna. He's not gonna lower himself. You know, dirty his hands the way Aaron Rodgers is. He's gonna work it all behind the scenes. I. I just. I think he's gonna be with the 49ers week one. I, I'm. I'm rooting for that so badly. Harder than I was rooting for Jim Harbaugh to the Vikings. And now streaming everywhere on the Odyssey app. This is Weei Late Night with Brian Barry on Boston Sports Original Weei. All right, well, you heard it there. How about that, Mike Florio? Predicting that Tom Brady is going to be the quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers in week one. Are you buying it that Tom Brady is actually going to be playing football after he just announced his retirement? 617-779-7937 is the number. I got into this a little bit with Mutt earlier. Thanks to Mutt and Ben for letting me sit in tonight. Had a good time there. But are you buying into this? Because I look at all the tentacles to this story right now. So Rich Orenberger, who was exposed for one of his reports earlier today when he essentially reported that Pat Mahomes told his girlfriend or his fiance, I should say, and his brother not to attend games next season. Pat Mahomes tweets back at him. Y'all just making stuff up these days. And then Orenberg responds, I can't substantiate the information that I tweeted out earlier today regarding Pat Mahomes and his family. The source received this information from... A person as someone I trusted. I will delete this tweet later today along with the thread. Please play along. Why didn't you just tweet it, delete it right away? But anyway, the point being, Orenberger's credibility, not really there right now. But he tweeted today that he heard some interesting things recently that Tom and Bruce Arian's honeymoon was over. The retirement announcement wasn't because of trouble seeing eye to eye on the offensive game planning, but the relationship was souring. He goes on to say Arians was rehabbing his Achilles early in the mornings. Brady and Byron Leftwich would work together on a game plan for the week, only to have Arians later come in and take the red pen to the work that they'd done. Brady and Leftwich allegedly felt undermined. Now, this is Rich Orenberger, who was exposed earlier today for a tweet that he put out there about Pat Mahomes. But for what it's worth, he says that Brady was pissed off with Arians, and that's essentially the reason he retired, because him and Leftwich were working on these game plans and big Bruce comes in and he says, hey, guys, we're not running that. Okay, this is the same Bruce Arians that said, we'll never sign Antonio Brown. He doesn't work. And then they signed Antonio Brown. So when you look at it in terms of Bruce Arians, not out of the realm of possibility that he would do something along these lines. But I just look at this from Brady's perspective, right? And it did feel like it was weird when he retired 
because he never really even said the word retirement. But when I look at what Brady has done, if he leaves, it's a really bad look. So the first thing I'll say, just as a teammate, Brady's always been a loyal teammate. And think about what some of these guys did for Tom, right? So Chris Godwin plays on the franchise tag last year and doesn't put up a hissy fit, doesn't put up a fight, and he's fine. He plays on the franchise tag because he wanted to run it back with Tom Brady. And if this was just an ordinary season for Chris Godwin and he wasn't playing with Tom Brady last year, he would have fought against the franchise tag, try to get a long-term deal, try to figure something out. Maybe he holds out a training camp. I don't know Godwin personally, but maybe he does. You think about all these other guys that came back to the Buccaneers to play with Tom Brady, right? Jason Pierre-Paul comes back. He plays with Mike Evans this year. So essentially what you would be saying is to a bunch of guys that you just won a Super Bowl with recently, yeah, guys, um, I'm not really retiring. I'm just leaving you. I don't want to play with this organization anymore. From my perspective, that just seems like it's very un-Tom-like. It took him 20 years to leave the Patriots, right? But with this group, he just joined them two years ago. They won their division this past season. They were the number two seed in the NFC. And all of a sudden, Tom's going to get up and leave a group that he just joined. Remember, he brought that team together. He brought Leonard Fournette there. He brought Rob Gronkowski there. But there was a lot of guys that obviously he had to build relationships with on that organization, or I should say in that organization. And all of a sudden, after two years, he's going to ditch those guys. That, to me, would be a horrendous look for Tom. And the other part of the equation in terms of how it would be bad for Tom is just this is sort of now the NBA empowerment era in the NFL. Because now this is going to start a precedent in the league, and we're already kind of seeing it, right? Now it appears Aaron Rodgers is going to go back to Green Bay, but it appears that Russell Wilson wants out. Heck, Kyler Murray in year three is already complaining about his particular situation, and it feels like other guys are looking at what Tom did and Tom choosing a destination and say, hey, I can do that. I can go join another team, and it's kind of like the – NBA ification, if you will, of the NFL, which that's a bad look for Brady as well. If Okay, the first time we can look back and say Bill wasn't going to give or Robert Kraft, however you want to term it. I blame Kraft more than Bill, but anyway, I mean, Bill was going to do what Bill was going to do. Kraft takes no blame whatsoever. That's a complete digression. Getting back to my point. Sorry, I got to stay on point here. So Bill was willing to let Tom go, and Bill did not want to give Tom a long-term contract extension, right? So justifiably, Tom says to the organization, well, then you can't franchise me. And they agree to that, right? So Tom can have some power and choose his next destination. So the first time he leaves the nest, it makes sense because of the fact that he could pick a destination that would give him that Drew Brees two years, $50 million contract. But after two years there and winning a Super Bowl there, and then it sort of ends poorly this year with the Antonio Brown situation. Then they had the issues in terms of the injuries with the Tristan Wharfs of the world the Chris Godwins of the world, so they can't get by the Rams in that postseason game. And then now you got guys going into free agency, the Godwins of the world, the Ryan Jensen's of the world. Now all of a sudden you're going to get up and leave there, and the hypothetical is you would join the San Francisco 49ers. That is like Kevin Durant level, right? Kevin Durant, remember, he's playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They have a 3-1 lead over the Golden State Warriors who had broke the broken the NFL. NBA record for most wins at a season. He leaves the Thunder to join the Golden State Warriors the year after he just lost to him. So not that Brady lost to San Francisco, but the Niners just made it all the way 
to the conference championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. And now Tom's going to say, I'm joining them. I'm going to them. A team that we all acknowledge right now is loaded. D-line is filthy. One of the best defensive linemen in the league in Nick Bosa. Then you look at the weapons they have offensively. They have Brandon Ayuk, who's a stud. He's their third option. Debo Samuel, one of the best players in the NFL. And Kittle, arguably the best tight end in the NFL. I know you could argue him or Kelsey, but he's one or two. And he's more of a blocker than Kelsey's ever been in his NFL career. Not to mention you got a really good coach in Kyle Shanahan. So you're going to join that loaded team. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers still have a pretty good roster, although it's disintegrating. And he's going to join the San Francisco 49ers after just playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was just on a loaded team. He's going to join another loaded team. That is Kevin Durant level, right? And it's sort of LeBron James level as well, where LeBron says, oh, yeah, well, I decided to leave Cleveland to win a title. And you got it, right? The Cleveland organization, just like you got why Brady left for different reasons, of course, but you got why LeBron needed to leave Cleveland because that organization was a dumpster fire. You totally understood it when he went to Miami. Now, the messaging was horrible. The way that he went about the messaging, absolutely atrocious. The whole decision situation, I mean, atrocious, right? But you could, if you just looked at it in terms of LeBron's getting criticized all the time for not getting over the hump, you could understand why he'd want to go play with another superstar player so he could have an opportunity to win a championship. He was losing to a team like the Celtics that had three All-Stars in Pierce and Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, right? He needed to join a team that could give him more help to win a championship, so you got that. But then when he goes back to Cleveland, he sort of hides behind the fact that, oh, he's going home and all this different type of stuff, and he's returning to where it all started, all this, right? But the real reason he went to Cleveland was not just because it was his hometown. If Cleveland was horrible, like they were right after he left, and they were not a good, they didn't look like they had anything going forward, mainly they didn't have another star in Kyrie Irving, he doesn't go back to Cleveland. So it was convenient for him to play it up like he was going home. He was always going to do this. But the real reason he did that was so that he could win a championship because what he was seeing is his best friend, Dwayne Wade, his knees were shot. The guy wasn't the same player anymore. First two years, Wade was great. After that, his body broke down, right? So LeBron saw a better opportunity to win. That, to me, is the comparison. It would be LeBron leaving Miami for Cleveland. This would be very similar as it pertains to Tom. Tom leaving Tampa, who had just recently won a championship, to join a loaded San Francisco 49ers team, that to me would just be a horrible look for Tom. And the other part of the equation is this. This looks really bad for Kyle Shanahan if he gets Tom. Because two years ago, the San Francisco 49ers, they watched all of Tom's film from the 2019 season, and they decided that they're sticking with Jimmy G. So they decide to stick with Jimmy G that particular season. And they find out, oh, yeah, Jimmy's hurt once again, as Jimmy always gets hurt. But they missed out on Tom. So then, last year, they give away, it. technically, it's two first-round picks. It's really not three because they swap one of them. But they give away two future first-round picks to trade for Trey Lance, okay? And now Kyle Shanahan, who is supposed to be the guru of quarterbacks, right? Any quarterback can work with Kyle Shanahan. So all of a sudden, Kyle Shanahan is going to say, I gave up two first-round picks to get this kid, Trey Lance, and he's not ready to go. We're not going to play him in year two. We need to go get the 45-year-old quarterback instead of the guy that we picked out, the guy that we identified in the draft, and the guy that I was basically saying I can win a Super Bowl with if I'm getting ready Jimmy Garoppolo for that guy. And now you're in a situation where you're saying, I need Tom Brady. 
isn't that doesn't that sort of go against Kyle Shanahan's ethos? Like this guy is one of the most arrogant coaches in the world. He thinks he can win just because of his system. Wouldn't he be conceding that point if he went after Tom Brady? So I just don't think it makes sense from San Francisco's perspective either. All right, 617-779. 7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into. We will get into some interesting comments from Jason Tatum. And I do have a question about Tatum. If you look at the best players in the NBA under 25 right now, where does Jason Tatum rank? So I want to get into that. Plus, I have one thought on the Patriots and a mistake they're making if they don't do this. We'll get into that in just a little bit here on EI. Crash and Keith, weekdays 10 to 2. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. All right, trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Brad Marchand's six-game suspension upheld after an appeal for roughing and high-sticking Penguins goalie Tristan Jari last week. Unfortunate, Marchand eligible to return Thursday the 24th against the Seattle Kraken. The Bees are losers of four of their last five. They need them. They'll visit the Senators on Saturday night. Major League Baseball announced spring training games will not begin until at least March 5th. Spring camps were set to open this week, of course, but that's not happening. Good news, the owners in the Players Union are scheduled to meet on Monday. Hopefully it's longer than 15 minutes. That's what it was last time. The Cardinals released Malcolm Butler from the reserved retired list on Thursday. Ben Volan reporting a source close to Butler said the cornerback is definitely attempting a comeback and plans to play in 2022. The C's on the All-Star break. The Green will visit the Nets on Thursday the 24th. Jason Tatum will be playing for Team Durant Sunday night in the All-Star game. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. You really think about it. We've had way more success together than you know this this year, and, and you know what we didn't accomplish last year. JB's been in three conference finals. I've been in two. Like you said, I think we're both still very far from our prime. And I think what people don't understand is is like, all right, if you want to break us up, the grass is not always greener. There's not a lot of guys in the NBA like JB. Like so, or or if you want to get rid of me, like you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think I'm one of the best players. All right, that was Jason Tatum on J.J. Reddick's podcast. Very good listen. I suggest you listen to it if you haven't. 
I really enjoyed it. Listen to the whole thing today. Very interesting. A lot of stuff in there. He had some really interesting nuggets about, he was talking about the conference finals against the Heat, and he was essentially saying that what happened in the Heat series was more the reason they lost, not to say that the Heat didn't deserve it. I'm not trying to say that he was saying that, but he said they were worn down from the Raptors series. And he said really what affected them that postseason was game three against the Raptors, where Celtics about to go up 3-0. Remember, this is a seven-game series, but they're about to go up 3-0. Brad puts Taco on the court. They end up throwing the ball all the way over to OJ Ananobi, who hits that three, and the Raptors win that game. They win the next game to make it 2-2. But Tatum's point was those guys on the Raptors make you work so hard defensively that he was super worn down for the series against the Heat. So a lot of good stuff from Tatum in there. But with that said, with Tatum saying he references the age of him and Jalen Brown, I'm throwing this out there all night. How many players under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum? And just to throw out a couple of names, Zion Williamson's under 25, John Morant's under 25, LaMelo Ball is under 25, Luka Doncic, Trey Young. So how many guys in the NBA right now under 25 would you take over Tatum? And if you want to weigh into the Brady situation, do you believe that Brady's coming back? 617-779-7937 is the number. Let's kick it off tonight with Mike. He is in Cranston. Mike, what's up, man? Double B, how are you, brother? Good to hear from, well, nice to hear your voice as always. Thank you, sir. Um, and a great job. Hey, um, you know, and, and I get it uh, with the Brady thing. Um, my question is, if we were, just, you know, kind of following, you know, the reports with the Arians, you know, kind of fallout, whatever, wouldn't Brady have the cachet to uh, – Get Arians fired and bring in Josh McDaniels. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and, why wouldn't that have happened? Yeah, and Mike, that's and, yeah, that's what I think. Like, so if Brady really wanted to stay in Tampa, and the issue there was Bruce Arians, I think that considering what Tampa Bay has already done for him, I mean, basically he's been the de facto GM. Him and Jason Light have been working in tandem. If Brady was really that upset, they would have already done it, right? And maybe he really likes Byron Leftwich, and he could have said, hey, make Byron the head coach. I believe if Brady wanted that, it would have already happened. So I believe that he doesn't want to be in Tampa anymore, for sure. Okay, so is it – so you, you, your, your theory or, or, or feeling is that he, he, he shot himself out of town, he's stepping back. I mean, I, I just think that – what other way and what would what does Tampa have to give up if he does come back? He's still under he's still prop, uh, uh, the rights of Tampa. Am I correct? Yeah, I'm guessing they would have to give up. It depends. Like if they can trade with another team, like if he really wants to go to San Francisco and he says, hey, I'm going to San Francisco. I'm guessing they would have to give him Jimmy Garoppolo and draft picks. And. Uh, we and that the other interesting scenario is I'm sorry to be, but. He can't wear 12 because 12 in San Francisco, John Brody's retired. So it would have mm. to be TB something else, for, for oh. which, is, which is fine. But It hurt his brand, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that's how, how that's, this is going to shake down? What is your feeling? Like, do you think that he no. hung him up and this and that? Or I think if it happens, Mike, and I appreciate the phone call as always. His line's open if you would like to grab it at 617-779-7937. So I believe if this happens, it's going to happen after next year. There's no way that Kyle Shanahan doesn't go into the 2022 season with Trey Lance as his quarterback. They gave up way too much for that guy. You've got to start him next season. So I believe that's the case. And as it pertains to Brady, I always say that 
What this reminds me of is the 2019 Patriots. That's why he doesn't want to go back to the Bucs, because he sees things falling apart. Godwin's going to get a big contract from somebody. I hope it's the Patriots. I've advocated for that. I hope the Patriots sign that guy. He's the perfect fit with Mac, but he's going to be elsewhere. Ryan Jensen, the center, he's going to be elsewhere. And Dominican Sue's a free agent. Jason Pierre-Paul is cooked. The guy's not a good player anymore, right? So you have all these guys. Leonard Fournette could get a contract from somebody, right? He's a running back. He's not going to get a big deal. But you get the point. He could be somewhere else. And I believe Tom saw this thing falling apart. If he really wanted to stay in Tampa and the issue was Bruce Arians, he would have just got him fired. What are they going to say? If Tom says to the ownership group, the Glazers, hey, um, I don't like Bruce anymore, so can you fire him? So if you don't, I'm going to retire or I'm going to beg for a trade or demand a trade. It would have been easy for the Glazer family. All right, Bruce, see you, man. Okay. Uh, We enjoyed you. Um, Win or lose, we booze. Have fun. Okay, go do your thing on your boat, whatever. Like, that would have been an easy thing to do if you were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I do think what Brady is doing right now is he's looking at it. He looks at that roster. He realizes it's not a Super Bowl-caliber team. And he looks at the fact that, well, I'm still playing at a high level. I just led the NFL in touchdown passes. I just led the NFL in yards. For some of the advanced metrics, he led pro football focuses war this year. He could, You could argue he should have won the MVP. I contend he should have won the MVP. All the advanced metrics point to Tom. He's playing at such a high level that if he plays, he wants to play for a team that is a contender, and maybe he looks at Tampa now and he says, or I believe he looks at Tampa and says they're not a contender anymore. But the problem is, you look at this situation, and if he goes to, if he just goes to a different team this year, it just feels like Brady's hopping on to a different loaded super team, so to speak. And that, to me, is a bad look for Tom. But I will say... If he sits out a year, like, this is what's going to be so aggravating for Tom. Or this is what I will project is going to be so aggravating for Tom. He's going to sit down on Sundays. He's going to be watching NFL games. And there are other quarterbacks around the league that this isn't the case for. But it is for Tom, right? So, retired quarterbacks, I'm saying. Big Ben sucked this year. That dude was horrible. Completely lost his arm strength. We can all agree. He was zapped of his athleticism. Big Ben is going to be sitting on his couch or his recline, or whatever, eating whatever he wants now since he doesn't have to slim down like he's been trying for years. He's going to be eating, and he's going to be watching these games. There's no way he's going to be watching Joe Burrow play and say, yeah, I'm better than Joe Burrow. Or he's going to be watching some of these quarterbacks across the league and saying, I can still do it. I can still play at a high level because he knows he can't. I can play like Justin. No, you can't play like Justin Herbert, right? When Peyton Manning retired after the 2015 season, the game retired him. Peyton Manning didn't retire himself. The game retired him. He sucked. That's one of the worst performances ever in a Super Bowl, not just for a winning quarterback, for any quarterback in the Super Bowl. Remember, he got benched for Brock Osweiler. So Peyton Manning could not watch games in 16 and say, I'm better than these guys. He couldn't. He didn't have the arm strength anymore. I just feel like it's going to be awfully difficult for Tom to watch these games and say, I'm not better than at least 27 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, really, maybe Herbert takes another step and Mahomes and Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers. That, I mean, that's really the group of quarterbacks you could argue is better than Tom right now. And this year, he was better than most of those guys. He was second team all pro. So I can't, be, I can't imagine how difficult it's going to be for Tom on Sunday afternoons because he knows he can still do it. And that's why at first I thought, okay, he's definitely retired. But I believe it's going to be a year off, and then he figures out where he's going to go next. That's what I believe is going to happen. I don't think it's going to be this year, but next year I believe it's going to happen. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Chris. He is in Reading. Chris, what's up, man? 
Hey, Brian, love the show. You're the, uh, you're the future of VEI, so keep doing whatever you're doing. Uh, I want to get man. your thoughts on – I want to get your thoughts on the Red Sox season. It seems as if maybe, maybe it's a week or two weeks now and we have a deal after March 5th, but do you think they're ready to rock and roll? What pieces do they need to add in the immediacy? Do we add an, need to add another reliever, another bat, and do you think the dominoes fall quickly thereafter an agreement is settled, or do you think this is going to take a, a month or two even into the, the summer to get all the pieces ready to rock and roll? Thank you. All right, Chris, appreciate the call. His line's open if you'd like to grab it at 617-779-7937. All right, so to answer his second question first, it does feel like this is at least a positive step that the players and the league, the owners, if you will, are going to meet again on Monday. And Jeff Passan had the reporting that they could meet every day after that. So it does seem like at least there is some admission on both sides, like we got to get this thing done. They've already pushed back spring training, right? But... I didn't like the fact that the union goes in there and <laughs> they're negotiating and they ask for more money in that player pool <laughs> than they did the first time. It just seems like that's not a fair negotiating tactic. But I do truly believe at some point both sides are going to come to the conclusion we can't miss a season, right? So even if it's delayed a week or two, we can't miss a season because of all the positive momentum that league has built up with young stars. And remember, the viewership way up in Major League Baseball. Last year, I thought the playoffs, quite frankly, were awesome. Now, maybe I'm biased because it was a Red Sox thing and all that. But, okay, so here is my thing to my answer to the first question. And by the way, Matt Duran, who's producing, you think they get a deal done and we're going to have a season? I mean, I I don't think so. I, I don't think Rob Manfred cares season. enough about baseball to make it happen. I think that he's oh, going man. in there, he's looking at Tony Clark, and he's saying, you guys just want us to give up our money? Why? And they're, they got all of these minor leaguers that can't afford – to live and play at the same time. And we saw last year the Oakland Athletics minor leaguers that were eating cheese sandwiches and living four to a room. It's crazy that all of this money that has come into the MLB in the last few years has to go somewhere. And I don't think it's unfair for the players to say, hey, it should so- sort of come to our side a little bit, you know? Yeah, I get it. And look, the players' union in baseball is by far the strongest of any of the major sports. And I, quite frankly, it's not even it's not even relatively close, right? So when I look at that, I understand your point. I, I guess I'm just being wishful or I'm just being hopeful that this could happen from a Red Sox perspective and a baseball perspective in general that we actually have a season. I just feel like it's going to happen. Maybe I'm too optimistic. And look, I have no evidence to point to that based on how the negotiations have gone. They've gone horribly. Like they're making no progress. In fact, you could argue the other day they went backwards. I'm just hopeful they'll come to the realization that, hey, we need to play games. We need to get our product out there because we don't want to happen to us what happened to the NHL when they had their lockout and it felt like people didn't come back. And the last time they had a lockout, they were able to build up positive momentum because of the fact that the steroid era basically happened not right after the lockout, but it happened after the lockout. And that brought people back. And, of course, that really helped with ratings. But the one thing I'll say in terms of what does this team need to add, well, the thing that I'll say is this, and I've been harping on this from day one this offseason. I want the Red Sox to continue to add to the bullpen, right? So the guy that I want them to get, and he's still out there, is Ryan Tapera, who got traded to the Chicago White Sox last season from the Cubs. Now, Kimbrell was the big name, but Tapera was the better guy. Now, he goes there. He finished off with a 0.88 whip, a 161 opponents batting average against. He was actually tougher on lefties, thanks to he has got an absolutely filthy changeup, right? So the Sox need to land a top-tier reliever to go with Whitlock, depending on what you want to do with him. If he's still in the bullpen, okay, that's one guy you have out there. 
And then there's other options you could add to the mix in terms of some of the, like Joe Kelly, for example, our old friend, he's out there. He got released. He's recovering from a bicep strain, but he was actually really good last year. 0.98 whip, 280 uh, ERA, not really important for a reliever, but he had a really good season. So I could see that happening in terms of getting, Tapera's the, the guy, like Rysel Iglesias I really wanted. The Red Sox, of course, he got paid. The Red Sox didn't go after him. But Tapera and Iglesias, Iglesias, you could argue, was the best reliever on the market. But you need to get a top-tier reliever because here's the issue. If you compare that back to, if you look at the Red Sox and you kind of like juxtapose what they did compared to the Rays, remember, Matt Barnes completely fell apart. But if you just look at what this bullpen did for the Rays last season, I know the Red Sox beat them in the postseason, but during the regular season, they piled up 100 wins, right? They dominated the late innings. Tampa scored 285 runs after the sixth. They gave up just 161, both tops in Major League Baseball. So that's a plus 124 run differential. The Sox had a minus 15 run differential after the sixth inning last year. Now, they need to hit better in late innings. That's for damn sure. But they also need to get lockdown relievers. And in this bullpen right now, let's go with the hypothetical that one of these two guys is in the rotation, Houck or Whitlock. You have one dependable guy, either Houck or Whitlock, who's in the bullpen. So I just feel like you need to go after a top-tier reliever to pair as that guy if we end up having a season. But anyway... So to answer this, the second question, that's who I want the Red Sox to go after right now. The offense is going to be good. The offense is going to hit. We know all that. And the other thing I would say is this. When you look at the defense, it was one of the worst in Major League Baseball last year by, quite frankly, every metric besides, like, Kike Hernandez is a good defensive player. Verdugo is a good defensive player. But other than that, not a lot of good defensive players on the Red Sox. Rafael Devers ranked out last among third basemen in most categories. Xander Bogarts. It's not like he makes a lot of errors, but his range is not there. Going to the right, uh, according to StatCast, outs above average metric. He's the worst in baseball. So the defense isn't going to get better. Like, the defense is a major issue. We all know that. You can't solve that right now. That's going to take Bradley's a long time. the best term. outfielder I've ever seen, but. <laughs> Joke is you, you forget that he's back. JBJ is back. So Yeah, and he's back as well. So And I hope he's just a fourth outfielder, but that's a really good defensive outfield if you have. Verdugo and left, and then JBJ, and of course, Kike was unreal last year. Nobody saw that coming whatsoever. So that's kind of my my big thing is go get Ryan to pair. I don't know if Bloom will do it, but that's my big thing. I've been advocating for it for a while. I actually wrote an article on WEI.com about that a couple of months ago. But anyway, um, I wanted to get to the Tatum thing for a second here. So how many players under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum? 617-779-7937 is the number. I just thought of this today because Tatum mentioned in that clip that we played earlier that why would you want to break up two guys under the age of 25, and I'm paraphrasing, that are two of the best players in the league. So if you look at some of these guys across the league under the age of 25 that are stars, Trey Young, 23-year-old, 27 points a game, shooting 45% from the field, 38% from three. He's basically the reason that the Hawks have been a top-five offense all season long. Unbelievable offensive engine. Here's the issue, though. Trey Young defensively, it's paper mache. You can go right through that guy. He's a liability defensively. The problem was in the postseason last year, not the problem for him. It was actually good for him. They didn't really play a team that could have exposed him. They played the Knicks in the first series in Philadelphia. Philadelphia didn't have any one-on-one guys, right? Their only one-on-one guy is really Tobias Harris. Embiid plays in the post, and Simmons, we know, didn't even want to dunk, right? So when you look at it from that perspective, the Knicks couldn't expose him. And Philly couldn't expose him. And, of course, the whole team got exposed against Milwaukee. But if you look at him on defense this year, the Atlanta Hawks have a 109.7 defensive rating when 
Trey Young is off the court. They have a 117 defensive rating when he's on the court. So they are absolutely atrocious when he's on the court defensively. So when I look at small dominion of point guards being the engine of teams, and you think about it, the last two guys that were small point guards that were the best player on championship teams, Steph Curry, who is actually bigger than him, and I'm talking about the 15 team because they had Durant after that, but Steph Curry is bigger than Trey Young. He's 6'3 compared to Trey Young, who's 6'1, and Curry's a much better, not to say he's a good defender, he's much better than Trey Young. And then you have to go all the way back to Isaiah Thomas with those Pistons teams in the late 80s, right, 89 and 90 in terms of a small diminutive point guard being the best player on a championship team. With Tatum, he's a wing that plays well defensively. Obviously, you'd like him to shoot better, but I'd much rather hitch my wagon to a guy that is six foot eight, that plays on the perimeter, that can get to the basket, and is an elite defender. Jason Tatum's number one in the NBA in defensive win shares. So when I look at it from that perspective, I'm going with the guy with size over Trey Young. What do you consider diminutive for a point guard? Well, he's six one. So do you consider? I'm just thinking of of recent point guards that have really excelled in in the playoffs and helped their team go. I mean, Kyle Lowry, Fred VanVleet in that lower in that lower tier. Mario Chalmers with the Heat back when when they made their run. And then I mean, y'all, Kyrie's not big, so I was just I was just curious. You're cut off. Well, I mean, no, my po- my point is like so Lowry and VanVleet. Both, like, are elite defenders, and Trey Young is not a good defender. But the other portion of the equation, I would say, is that if you look at Lowry and Van Fleet, when the Toronto Raptors won that championship, they weren't the number one guy, right? So when I look at Trey Young, I just don't believe he could be the number one guy on a championship team at that size because when you get into the post, I know he had a run last year, but let's not forget, like, who he played in those first two rounds. The Knicks and that Sixers team that completely was combustible, the whole Ben Simmons thing. So it's very difficult for a guy at that size to be able to be your every down back, if you will, to make a cross-sport comparison in the postseason, right? If you look at it, it's been dominated recently by big wings that win championships. And Giannis even more than that. Giannis is a wing-slash-center now. But it's Giannis. Before that, it's LeBron. Before that, it's Kawhi. It's two years of Durant. And then you have the LeBron year in there. And then in between that, you have... The Steph Curry year. But that's pretty much it. I mean, think about it. How many teams have had their best player be a small point guard or a point guard in general, right? Like Magic was 6'8". That doesn't really count, and that was in the 80s. You look in the 90s, it was dominated by Jordan, who was a wing, and then in between that, Hakeem Olajuwon. Obviously, the big man's not the same anymore, but then you go to the Shaq-Kobe Lakers, and then Duncan won, what, five championships. He won one in 99. And even if you look at the Mavericks, Dirk, even though he wasn't a great defender, you can't really expose him as much because he's six foot ten, right? And that we weren't even in that small ball area yet. I feel like it really started with the Miami Heat. Then you go to the Heat, it's LeBron and it's Dwayne Wade. And then we look after that, it's the 14 Spurs that have Kawhi as the defensive guy, young, and you still have Duncan, you have Ginobili, you have Parker. That was kind of just like a great team. I just I don't see a guy like Trey Young being the best player on a championship team because he's not going to be good defensively. I don't think he can handle that load from an offensive perspective. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Okay, so that's the first guy on my list of guys under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum. I'll go through the rest of my list in a second, and I want to get your take as well. How many players under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum? We'll get into it in just a little bit here on EEI. This is WEEI Late Night with Brian Barrett on WEEI. All right, so we're throwing it out there tonight. If you want to weigh in on the Brady situation, do you think he's actually going to already come out of retirement? That's on the table. Plus, how many players under the age of 25 right now in the NBA 
would you take over Jason Tatum? 617-779-7937 is the number. Okay, so another guy I'm ruling out immediately is Zion. I love Zion. He is absolutely dominant, but the problem is he missed, has missed so far the entire season, may need another procedure. He's not in tip-top shape. I mean, that's become abundantly clear. And if you look at him throughout his career, 24 games as a rookie and 61 games last year, he's barely played in the NBA. I mean, it's awfully concerning as it pertains to Zion. Let's get to Will. He's in Rhode Island. Will, what's up, man? Hello, Will. Okay, we don't have Will. Appreciate it, Will. Oh, go late. Sorry, my bad. I was on mute. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, so, I thought, you know, your take on Trey Young spot on, I think his defense isn't going to be good enough to have you as your, your star player. But uh, the only player under 25 that's better than Tatum right now is Luka Doncic. That's the only person. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Tatum, where he needs to improve, I just want him to average a little bit more assists per game. Take more of that, like, point forward role, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a really fair point, Will, and I appreciate the phone call. I actually agree with his take in terms of that's the only guy I would take over Tatum right now as well. Now, to his thing about Tatum improving as a passer, I will say this. You have development on that as of late. So, And Tatum's never going to be the passer that Luka is. Luka is a LeBron James-level passer, right? That's Tatum, not one of his – or one of his skill sets coming into the NBA was not playmaking. He's developing that. But if you look at it, right, so Tatum in the last 13 games before the break – 5.3 assists per game and a 24.8% assist rate. Pretty good for his position, right? You look at the first 43 games, he was at 3.8 assists per game and an 18.1% assist rate. So he is improving that. And clearly you can tell he's become a better playmaker as this season has gone on. But Luca, that's the difference. Is Luca is just an unbelievable playmaker. And man, I understand that Luca hasn't won a playoff series, but he went toe-to-toe with Kawhi and Paul George. He almost beat those two guys. Remember Porzingis, who then got dumped this year. Porzingis got hurt during that series in the bubble as well, and Luka almost beat those guys. He's only 22 compared to Tatum, who's 23. 27 points per game. Now, not a great shooter. 33% from three, 44% from the floor. Nine rebounds a game and nine assists per game. And I just feel like he's the perfect postseason player because when the game slows down, he can break everything down. And we've seen it against elite defenders in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They had no answers for him in that series. So I would take Luka over Tatum just because of the playmaking aspect as well. Now, the other guys on this list that you'd have to consider, one would be John Morant. John Morant's at his 22-year-old season. He's averaging 27 points per game. I'm rounding it up, 26.8. 49% from the field, obviously not a great shooter. 33% from three. 6.9 assists, 5.8 rebounds. So here's the thing about John Morant. Everybody looks at him and they see the super athlete. The problem is he's actually a destructive defender to that team. Now, he will gamble and get some steals, but their defense, when John Morant's on the floor, has a 112.4 defensive rating. When he's off the floor, they have a 106.1 defensive rating. How about this? When John Morant is on the floor for the Grizzlies, they're actually worse than when he's off the floor. His on-off is a minus 0.8. You look at Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum this season, in terms of his on-off numbers. So a 114.7 offensive rating when Tatum's on the floor for the Celtics. They have a 105.7 offensive rating without him. That is, like, atrocious. 105.2 defensive rating with him. Elite. 108.5 defensive rating without him. 
So if you look at the totality of that, Jason Tatum, a plus 12.3 on-off number. And just to put into perspective, like where Tatum's at in terms of the impact metrics this season, he's up there with some of the best players in the NBA. In fact, if I was looking at this earlier, so NBA.com, they do it weekly. They put out a MVP ladder. So they put theirs out this week, and Jokic is number one on that list. He's got a ridiculous plus 20.1 on-off. Remember, Tatum's 12.3. But Embiid is number two on their MVP ladder. He's at 10.5. Tatum's at 12.3. Giannis is at 12. Tatum's at 12.3. Paul's at 5.9. Chris Paul, of course. Tatum's at 12.3. Curry's at 12.5. Tatum's at 12.3. So the only two guys on the MVP ladder, that and Jokic is out of this world great, that have a better on-off number than Jason Tatum are... Chris, or, or excuse me, are Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic. That's it. That's the impact that Tatum makes because he's such a good defensive player. So when I look at John Morant, I don't believe he's ever going to be the defensive player that Jason Tatum is just because he doesn't have the size. He's six foot three. And the other thing that I think people dismiss with Ja, they just look at the Grizzlies record and juxtapose that with the Celtics record. The reality is now Tatum has Jalen. But if you look at what the Grizzlies have, they have a loaded team with a lot of good players. The Jaron Jacksons of the world the Desmond Baines of the world. They have a really good roster and a really good system. The Celtics are still sort of figuring it out with the new head coach and Ime Adoka. So he's got a really good roster as well. So if I was going to debate Tatum or Morant, I would take Tatum over Morant. And then we got to Zion. Of course, you can't take him. It's just such a risk from a health perspective. And it's actually, it's really disappointing because I'm not, I'm not like taking shots at Zion. It's just when the guy's on the floor, the guy's an incredible talent. He was unstoppable last year, but you just wonder if we're ever going to see him play at that high level again, or if it's ever going to be sustainable. Now, he's already played at a higher level than Greg Oden, but you're kind of getting Greg Oden vibes with this guy. Is he just always going to be hurt? It feels like a guy that size with that type of weight, right, where he's like 280 pounds, is that sustainable? It's almost like he's too athletic for his body. And then the other guy on the list that I just throw out there is LaMelo. Problem with LaMelo is not a great shooter, 36% from three on the season. Not a good defender either. And he's actually uh, struggled a bit with his finishing, 55% in the restricted area. I just feel like if you get into a playoff series, and look, he's young. He may develop into this type of player. But if you get into a playoff series, and what happens in the postseason is everybody knows the sets you're running, can you just give the ball to LaMelo and say, hey, go to work, get me a bucket? I don't know. I, I don't see that with LaMelo right now. And I do see that with Jason Tatum. We've seen it with Jason Tatum. Other two guys, Mobley. I just wonder about his offense. He may be a generational defender, but I worry about his offense. Can he carry a team offensively? Now, maybe he doesn't have to with Darius Garland, but the point is if you're starting a team right now, would you take Tatum or Mobley? You have to take Tatum. And then the other guy is Cunningham, who I was really impressed with the other night. I thought he was great in that game against the Celtics, even though it wasn't very efficient. But 15 a game, just not shooting the ball particularly well, and he's not the same level athlete as Tatum. So out of that group, I would take Tatum over all the guys in the league under the age of 25, with the exception of Luka Dantich. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into, including the, these two questions on the table all night long. Do you believe that Tom Brady's coming back, based on some of the reporting we're getting? How many players under the age of 25 would you take over Jason Tatum? Plus, some interesting comments that Jason Tatum made on J.J. Reddick's podcast that I want to get to next right here on EA. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. 
music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 